I think we need to move the specials to the first song. Because it's hard to regroup after that. He has always been faithful. Emily and I sat the other night and, well, we had supper. I met her and her mother and we had supper uh, in a restaurant and uh, it was very enjoyable, not a big crowd. And uh, we just talked about life in general. We talked about issues that had, was coming up in her life that her mother and I had faced in our life earlier, and uh, different things and the peer pressures and the things that came along. And I just began to rehearse that conversation we had. And as Becky and I explained to Emily some of the things that we had faced and even succumbed to under peer pressure and things, the one thing that I look back in my life is he has always been faithful. And Milligan, you could not, I, I don't know that, I mean, you always do great, but I don't know that it's ever been that good uh, and that timely. As we turn to the last chapter of Nehemiah, it, I always fight the last sermon in a series because I feel like I'm reading the last chapter of a huge book I've been working on for a while or the last moments of a uh, a really good movie you've been to, but uh, it's it's like you're you're leaving home, and uh, it, it's always kind of a mixed bag because uh, it, it's been awesome to go through Nehemiah, and I, you know, I in my feelings hate that we've been through some of the situations, and there was weeks we had to take off and we couldn't stay with it. But God knew that. As you know, I tried to preach this in 2019, and God kept putting me off. And the, just to uh, bring into your memory what I said at the start, the word that God laid on my heart, and I knew something. I had no idea what it would entail. But writing to Fayetteville, Georgia last November, coming through Macon about the time uh, a retread that had come off a tractor trailer or something popped up and took the whole front end of my truck off. I was listening to one of the greatest apologists uh, living at the time, and uh, he was explaining the, the in-depth view of having a biblical burden and carrying that burden. And I thought, man, and God spoke into my heart, that's your word for 2020 having no idea what this year would look like. Nor did I know that the one I was hearing preach that would go to his heavenly home. Uh, that same preacher, Robbie Zacharias, is now with the Lord, uh, having been diagnosed and, and just in a short time succumbed to the fleshly disease of cancer. You know, in the words of that song, he has always been faithful. I look at this last sermon in the series, Burden to Build. Anytime, it's exciting for me as a builder uh, in my past. And 
my vocational job, I made a living with a hammer for many, many years. My first act in the morning was to fix coffee and put on my nail apron. First thing every morning and wear that nail apron all day, every day. And uh, it was both a blessing and a curse. And some days I just want to get rid of that thing, not carry it anymore. But then one time we went back to Douglasville's. We were trying to sell our house and we had had some stuff stored there when we had moved to Alabama and we went back and someone had broke into our garage and stole a bunch of stuff that was in there. Most of it was not, it wasn't that valuable of stuff. It was some old lamps that were very valuable to me that were my grandparents. Uh, but the thing that really bothered me more than anything was a hammer. Now, I, I probably right now have four or five different kinds of hammers. But this was my hammer, the hammer, the hammer that I'd put food on the table with, the hammer that I had uh, built my home with. And, and so it really bothered me that that hammer, my, part of my identity. But, you know, no matter what, I, I, I still like to see uh, putting a, a belt on because I know something's going to be built, but I know it's going to be hard work. From the moment you bust the bands on a framing package, it's nothing but work. It's going to be hot days and cold days and dirty days. It's going to be a lot of work. But let us be like Philip's friend. There is no greater testimony that you can live behind than to leave the testimony as a godly man or godly woman that you did not compromise. There were no change under pressure. Nothing changed you whether you were sick or whether you were well. Whether you were facing a pandemic or whether it was all okay. Whether it was in February or March when there wasn't a whole lot going on. Weather-wise, you couldn't go away. Or whether it was the middle of the summer where you could escape and get away. I had someone tell me, he said, listen, I can't afford to come to church and get sick. I've got to go to work. I've got to go do this. I've got to do that. I'm telling you, you can't afford not to worship the Lord. I understand all the pressure. I am not guilting anybody that's watching. We want to be safe and it agitates me for anyone to even insinuate that we're not being as careful as we possibly can. Many listening or watching may say, I can't believe your youth's going to camp. Well, believe it. They're going to camp. Matter of fact, they've been meeting here for a couple of weeks. But just like today, we're, they're staying separated. There is very strict guidelines. They're already checking temps. They're filling out papers. It's being done the best way. Listen, if you're getting up and going to work, if you're going to Walmart, you're going to the beach, you're going everywhere else, but can't come to church, you may be the problem. Now, I know that's not popular. But listen, as we look at this chapter, looking back over the whole thing, I want to read into your memory a few things. First of all, the theme of this book was building blocks for God's people to do God's work, God's way, in God's time. And he told us in chapter 2, verse 18, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. In chapter 4, verse 6, it said, for the people had a mind to work. 
Nehemiah had been governor for 12 years, from chapter 1 through chapter 12. Basically a year chapter. And he had led them in the great rebuilding of the walls. Now it was the rebuilding. They didn't have to get new block or new brick or new rocks. All of it that was torn down. It wasn't just miraculous that they did it. They didn't do it with rocks set on pallets and everything was plug and play. They had to scrap it up, clean it up, and put it back. And they built those walls in 52 days. But remember now, the country wasn't completely reestablished. They were still under Persian rule. And so after 12 years, Nehemiah, having set them on the course and leading them well, went back for a year to report to the king that God had spoke to to hear Nehemiah's prayers and his request when he said, what's wrong with you? He said, why should I be happy and sit here when the walls of my city are destroyed, my country? And God quickened that foreign king. I'm going to tell you something. God can do whatever he wants with whoever he wants to do it with. Don't panic because you watch the news. God changes hearts and God changes lives. The problem is in us, not God. In one short year, and if you're under the age of 22, 23, where you're going to college, going to high school, waiting to get 16 and get your license or get your learner's permit or waiting till you get to high school or middle school. It seems like a year is forever. I can assure you, it ain't. It's like that. It's a blink of an eye. I have to remind myself, I'm not 35. I'm not 45. And it's like, where's the time gone? I don't even have a teenager. I don't feel like that. Except when I do something, then I feel every bit of it. But a year can go by so quickly. Nehemiah, and I thought about this. Nehemiah didn't get on a, on a trailways bus. Nehemiah didn't go catch a plane, fly down to Iran or Persia, and fly back. It, the year, most of it was probably spent on the back of a donkey or walking to get there, give a report, and get back. But imagine what his heart must have felt like when he got back because the people had compromised everything by their disobedience in one short year. I read somewhere the other day, and it's a paraphrase, but it said that it takes a society 100 years to go from sheer barbarism to civilization and only a year or less to go from civilization back to barbarism in just a moment. Could you imagine in February we'd be seeing and facing the things we are today? I cannot watch the news. You, you all know I'm a history buff. And I've walked the back streets and the main streets of Washington, D.C. 
I am one of those guys they make fun of. I stop and read the monuments. And I see the scriptures that's written on most of them that are in Washington, D.C. I want you to know something. If we allow our world to rewrite our history, they're writing God out of the next one. That's what's happening. It's not about just black and white. Because if you'll notice, it's not just blacks tearing down monuments. It's as many if not more whites than blacks. It is not about race. It's about control. And what we need to realize is sometimes it's not so flagrant and open as we're seeing on our TV screens. It is quietly seeping into the very fabric of our churches, our homes, and our local communities. Compromise creeps in slowly. Step by step, the enemy carefully creeps into the most vulnerable areas of our lives. Can I tell you, and many of you are educators, can I tell you the secular colleges of America have sown to the wind and America is now reaping the whirlwind. We have told these students for decades there is no God, that the cosmos is all there is, and that God is dead, the philosopher said, for I have killed him in my mind. And we teach them that Sagan and Nitschke and some of these great thinkers of the American Enlightenment and around the world are the smart ones. And the old country preacher that couldn't hardly read a three-syllable word. And he spit and he yelled. And he told people to repent of their sins or they'd die and go to hell. We're sheer idiots. And that science trumps any of this fairy tale Bible. Who would have ever dreamed that the President of the United States standing in front of a church holding a Bible would be absolutely scorned to no end? Have your opinion if you will. It's still the word of God. And God raises up kings and puts down kings. It is not about the loyalty to the man, but loyalty to the God of the man. Before we realize it, we've wrecked our lives, our churches, our homes, and our country. Now all of that, pretty depressing knowing what we're going through it's like well we might as well give up we do like the cultists we can go save up our money we've been tithing really good we'll just go buy a mountain somewhere we'll all live up there and store up food listen cults have been trying that for years and it's pretty country out there i've been out through there but there's nowhere like right here because this is where god means for us to be and we were not called to run. He give us a suit of armor that we are to suit up with, with a helmet of salvation and a breastplate of righteousness, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel because God meant for us to fight the good fight and not run. And here it is. There is hope as long as there are Nehemiahs. 
When Nehemiah came back, he didn't say, I can't believe I wasted 12 years of my life. I am leaving this mess. I'm running. Y'all bunch of knuckleheads. I don't have anything to do with you. I wash my hands of you and run. No, Nehemiah came back. And buddy, when he did, he came back with a vengeance. And that's where we pick up in chapter 13. On that day, they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people. You think Leviticus and Numbers is hard for you? Imagine when you lived under that law, under the pressure of every bit of that law. It said they read in their remembrance in front of this audience, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them that he should curse them, howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. How quickly we forget. Compromise. What is compromise? Making concessions to reach an agreement or settlement, he said uh, in, in the definition. Compromise principles lead to conquered lives. We compromise to the point we don't even know what we stand for anymore. Do you know what the basic tenets of the faith is? Why are you a Baptist? Why are you a Georgia Baptist? Why are you a Southern Baptist? Who was Lottie Moon? What is the International Mission Board? Why do we do Vacation Bible School? Why, why, why? We need to know. But we've become so entrenched in watching and binge-watching Netflix and never opening the Word of God, never studying who we are, that we can tell you everything there is about a series on TV and nothing about the one who died for us. There's three things that they compromised on, and we must beware. Relational compromise, cultural compromise, and spiritual compromise. Starts with the relational compromise. He told us in verse 3 that they had to separate and Israel separate from all the mixed multitude. The mixed multitude. God is very clear, even into the New Testament, we know it teaches us to come out from among them and be ye a separate people, saith the Lord. What does that look like? What does that sound like? There, that has been taken out of context in so many ways. And we have built racism on this. We have. I don't care if you agree with me or not. We've built it on that, but that's not what he's talking about. What does it mean to be unequally yoked? What does that mean? What does that look like? Unequally yoked, well, let's go to what he's drawing a picture of, a yoke. You ever been in a barbecue house that has any old decorations in it, you've seen a yoke. Many of them, they'll put a, a mirror in it, in the yoke. Well, a double yoke was one that had a, a whipple tree or something across it, and it had two big 
things that would go around the old days it was wood and then they made leather and then it have a bar across the top and they would put an oxen in each one. And what would happen if you had one that had a mindset of this or was a, a middle-aged, some that, that was very full of itself, and then another one that was old and seasoned and very tried, one would want to pull, out-pull the other. And one would pull one way and one would pull the other way. I'm going to tell you, we have so convinced ourselves that we've got it under control. We can do whatever. I've heard girls and boys in their lives say, oh, but I love them and I'll change them. And once we get married, we'll get them in church. I'm going to tell you something. Not only will you not get them into church, they'll get you out. Seen it. There are rare occasions or it works the other way. But it starts with wrong friends. And I shared this with Emily in this conversation the other night. I said, you know, I look back over my life. And as a, a young man, middle school, high school, I don't say this proudly. So don't, don't think I'm trying to glorify Satan or sin. But I was a rebellious boy. I was the worst kind because I was an Eddie Haskell. I was the kind that could smile in front and knew all the right things to say. Yes, sir, no, ma'am, all that. But when nobody else was watching, I did the other stuff. And I'm going to tell you something. If there's anyone that can stand and encourage families who have a wayward child and feel like it's your fault and you've done it all right, I want to tell you something. My mom and daddy did it all right. And I'm not talking about they've not sinned. I'm not saying that. But they did it right. They raised me in the house of God. They raised me reading the Bible. They raised me to get down in a family altar. And we'd start when all five of us there. And Chris would pray first. Then Art would pray. Then I would pray. Then Mama would pray. And then Daddy would pray. And we'd kneel down beside that old brown rough feeling. Almost like a burlap fabric couch. And we'd pray there in that living room. I can remember going to bed. And Mama, uh, uh, when I was really young, crawling up on their bed. And we didn't sleep with Mama and Daddy. There wasn't no nonsense like that. Number one, the bed wouldn't fit us. It wasn't no king-size bed. It wouldn't have fit through any door in our house. And it would have took up the entire room. That's how small it was. And we would crawl up on the bed and Mama would open that beautiful, almost Victorian-era pictured Bible storybook and read those stories. When I started preaching, all I had to draw on was what my Sunday school teachers had taught me what my vacation Bible school teachers had taught me, and what my mama had read to me. Because you can attend church for 18 years. Listen to me. You can attend church for years and never hear anything the preacher said. And I thought, what am I going to preach? And I began to preach about Jonah and the whale and Daniel in the lion's den and Lot and his wife, that turned into a pillar of salt. And I would preach about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I'd preach about those stories of David and Goliath and Paul and Peter and about Jesus. But you see, one of the problems that I really believe, and I, it was my fault, all blame lays on me, but it was in the friends that I allowed myself to come in contact with. If there's anything you need to guard, mamas and daddies, is who your kids run with. 
And young people, listen to me. Stop following somebody else and either lead them or let them go. Because if you don't, they will become a, a weight around your neck or around your ankle, weighing you down, pulling you. Wrong, wrong thinking. Look at the next slide. Listen, wrong friends. It was a mixed multitude. They had allowed Ammonites and Moabites. You know who they were? They were tribes that were not Israeli tribe or Hebrew tribes. They had come out of incest between Lot and his children. The kind of stuff that our world says, it's my choice. And they fly the flag that God gave as a promise. Listen, stop looking negative on the rainbow and take it back for what it is. Stop letting the world hijack and lie about things that represent God in his word. Amen? Mixed multitude. Now the Bible tells us we're to show ourselves friendly, right? And he who has friends must first show himself friendly. But I'm here to tell you, that doesn't mean compromise. We do not compromise our principles. If you stand for what's right, listen, young people, it's going to break your heart, but you will stop being invited to parties. You'll stop being invited to go on vacations because they know you don't do that, your parents don't do that, and they don't understand why. But when you're around them, love them, don't try to beat them down, put them down, Understand, Nehemiah had to stay out there by himself. Very lonely life. But what did Milligan say? He has always and will always be faithful. Wrong friends. Nehemiah come back and they're, they're convorting with all the world. They're camping around. They're laying it. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff. They're selling stuff. They're compromising through wrong relationships, and then worldly partners. Now, this goes for business, dating, and marriage. Now, I had to pick because I wasn't going to say worldly family. You can't pick your family. You can before you get married, but after that, you can't. And I don't, in any form or fashion, want to condone divorce or anything, but it happens. All right? And you're not a second-class citizen if... You have gone through that, even if it was all your fault. People always come to me and say, well, it wasn't my fault. I don't judge that. That's not between, I don't even need to know all the gory details. I, I don't need to know any of that. What I do know is there's grace and forgiveness, but it does not mean that God condoned it to start with. Don't act like that. So we need to understand God wants us to make wise decisions going in to a friendship, going into a partnership. If you just see somebody as, hey, we can make a lot of money together, but their principles are sketchy. There's a lot of believers went down in flames because they partnered with somebody who did not have Christian ethics. Didn't have Christian morals. Those of you who coach, you know, I know, we've been on staffs where it was hard to coach because other coaches 
didn't think it was wrong to take God's name in vain. They didn't think it wrong to talk ugly in front of and at the, at the kids. They didn't find it wrong. They even thought it was the right thing to, well, we're just trying to motivate them. I'm going to tell you, if you've got to cuss a kid because you think that's what it takes to motivate them, you don't have a clue what you're doing. Any parent want to say amen right there? Maybe there's no amens because daddy's doing it out there in the yard and mama's doing it. I've seen some of the craziest coaches I've ever seen, mom and daddy. Listen, I, I pastored in Alabama. Y'all think y'all are sports fans. And, and it wasn't about baseball over there. They kind of adopted the Atlanta Braves. They didn't have a professional baseball team. And, you know, Bo Jackson and Frank Thomas played at Auburn, so about, that was about the only claim to fame they had for baseball. But football? And here's the deal, and here's, here's the truth. They were Al Alabama fans are Alabama fans because they lived in Alabama. Auburn fans were Auburn fans because they went to Auburn. But both were rabid, foaming-at-the-mouth fans. To where, literally, I saw where they did not get together as a family. Very faithful family that loved each other. But they would get in a fuss over the Iron Bowl and wouldn't speak to each other for six months. I saw it happen. Just rabid rabid fans of this stuff. You know, house divided. It always cracks me up. And if you've got a tag, forgive me if you will, but I'd probably take it off because you don't understand the last part of that verse. I've seen it, you know, with the Georgia G on one side and Georgia Southern on the other. Or I don't know that I've ever seen a Georgia, Georgia Tech one on it. But I saw them in Alabama, Alabama and Auburn, House divided. Well, do you know what it says after that? The tag's not big enough. We don't read the rest of the scripture. It said, it'll fall. It'll fall. A house divided against itself will fall. Worldly partners, family, listen, who do not see. We can love one another, but sometimes we have to love people from a distance. And the more faithful you get, sometimes your spouse won't understand it. Lovingly urge them along. Your, your parents, listen, young people, I've seen mamas and daddies that wouldn't let their kids get baptized. They wouldn't let them come. They would penalize if they did something or didn't get their homework done. They'd still let them go to practice, but they wouldn't let them come to youth. And listen, if you're a Christian, don't penalize your kid from coming to the house of God. That's what they do need. We need to wise up. He said they'd compromise their relations, but then cultural compromising. This is something, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I just want to hit it very quickly. Cultural compromise. As I've said earlier, if right now church is the only thing you can't attend because of a pandemic, but you can do everything else, it may not be the coronavirus that's your problem. 
carnal Christianity puts everything ahead of God. We plan everything around church. If we take vacation, we plan it around missing worship. We plan it around, and I'm not saying vacation is wrong to get away. I do. And if I take a week off, I'm going to just tell you, I'm not going to church probably. I'm going to watch things. I'm going to listen. But I let my spirit be quiet. I get that. You need that. But once a month? Twice a month? We're checking out from God. We have become carnal in our Christianity. We are mixed. This is the problem. Remember what compromise was? Making concessions to reach a settlement. We don't want the world to bother us, we don't want, so we don't bother them. We don't want them to threaten us. We don't want to have anything come at us, and so we keep our mouths shut. I'm going to tell you, we need to be consistent. We need to be courageous and stand for what is right. Because if it was right 28 years, 100 years ago, it's still right today. He has always been faithful. You know why God has always been faithful? Because he's always been God. He told Moses, tell them I am sent you. God is never in the past tense. God is never in the future tense. God is always in the present tense because he is God. He is God. In an hour, He is God. Tomorrow, He is God. And whether we're here or whether we're in glory, He is God. Carnal Christianity. Paul said when he looked at those kinds of things, listen, he had to write, and they believe it was three or four letters, but we have two that were inspired and infallible that reached the canon of Scripture, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but he had to write to the church at Corinth that he had led many to the Lord and they had established it and in his little short time of being away, they had so perverted and become carnal in their worship, they had perverted the Lord's Supper, they had perverted relationships. It was a, a picture of Israel right here in Jerusalem. And Paul said, it ought not to be so. When you look at a Christian, you see them living like the devil. It ought not be so. It's carnal Christianity. You cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and expect God to honor your life and your testimony to be strong. Don't work. It don't work. And then hashtag theology. I'm going to tell you something. If you're relying on social media to get your theology, you're jacked up. If it's got to be a hashtag with a bunch of initials and acronyms, the world is shoving that stuff down your throat and you're gobbling it up. You take the news, and, and listen, we saw last week that on a reported, and not an alleged, but on a report of racism, the whole NASCAR crowd got behind one thing, and they were all the engineers, lifelong racers, and what's considered to be the greatest racer of all time on that team couldn't tell the loop in a garage rope and a noose. You said, preacher, I can't believe you're talking about that now. You're treading on dangerous ground. I'm going to tell you something. We have always been anti-racist as a church. I told you the other day, we've, we're not changing anything. We love God, we love people. 
Amen? I mean, we love Timmy. Come on. If there's any grace, y'all love me, I think. We don't all look the same. You look down our church row. It's not stark white. This, this, it's not about racism. This is about changing the narrative to fit your cause. It's hashtag theology. And it's not just in that realm. It's not just in NASCAR. It's not just in politics. It's not in just tearing down statues and memorials. It's in the Southern Baptist Convention where the wokeness of the young people, you know what woke, being woke is? This young crowd that says, well, we're just woke. Well, I'm going to tell you what they're saying is, we understand our, uh, the world's past sins better than you do. We understand it all better than you do. You don't understand. We're just a lot smarter. We've, we've reached a, a high, and they don't use this, but it's true. They believe they've reached a higher level of understanding. It's Gnosticism is all it is. And they say, oh, we're a lot smarter. We get it. We've read better books. We've wrote better books. We know better. I'm going to tell you something, my friends. Nothing will ever trump the everlasting, inherent, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And there's nowhere in the Bible where you'll find a hashtag. And then closet faith. Some of us are hiding our faith for fear we may ruffle feathers. Well, I got news for you today. If you open your mouth, you're going to make somebody mad. It's called microaggression. I didn't like science back then. If you got to look through a microscope to find something you're mad about, you're just going to get mad. And I really don't care if you get mad at me if you had to look through a microscope. Because you, if you'll just look with your eyes wide open, you'll find something that I've messed up with. But these microaggressions, and it's, ne it's not even about whether you did something, it's whether someone perceived you did. You know what Ecclesiastes 3 said? For our wonderful and illustrious speaker of the house quoted from this chapter just the other day. She don't understand half of the latter part of verse 7, there's a time to keep silent. But then there's a time to speak. And I had one of my first Bible professors told me this, and listen, because sometimes when there's a situation in our life, we see someone that's falling in sin. We see something that's not right. I want to give you the greatest advice. He said, what you need to understand is you need to be the hither man. I said, what's the hither man. He said he's all through Revelation. You'll find him in Revelation. I said, what, what are you talking about? And we went over there. And the hither man is the one who stays on the back row. He doesn't need to be seen. He doesn't need to sit in the place of authority. He is that publican. He blends in. He sits. But when God speaks, God says, come up hither. And he listens. He's the hither man. We need to be right where we're at. Study to be quiet. But when God 
quickens your heart. If you see a situation where you feel like, oh, I'm compromised if I don't say something, ask God. And if God says, say it, say it. If God doesn't say, say it, be quiet. God may have someone else to say it that can say it, not differently, but it will impact them even more. Listen, be consistent, be courageous, and be constant, constant. Listen, just because we're in a pandemic, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Those who are watching, that can't come because of health issues, can't come because of autoimmune issues. Listen, we get it. We understand. I totally get it. But listen, be constant where you're at. Do not let being online for an hour on Sunday be enough. Stay in the Word of God and stay on your knees. We must be constant in our faith, looking for opportunities. You know what's declined? Even though our finances are great, and even though you know, we've had a lot of attendance online and worship's been great as we've been back for about seven weeks, throughout our church and the Southern Baptist Convention, evangelism has dropped drastically. Because there's not that 101. You're going to have to literally look for ways to share your faith with other people. And this is where, yeah, you can use social media. Yes, you can. And look forward to this week. We're going to try to do something. I've talked to some Sunday school teachers, and they've expressed to me, you know, that their heart aches not being able to teach, and it, and it a lot of them are fighting. This whole deal about being constant because we're used to being in a groove of studying and, you know, coming home on Sunday night and just read through and say, okay, this is the lesson for the week and then start working on your lesson all week. And we don't have that. Well, number one, church-wide, be looking, especially on Facebook, look for this week us beginning some kind of online Bible class. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but look for it. Teachers, be ready for me to call on you to help me do that. They need to see somebody and hear somebody besides me. Your class members need to see you doing it. And so we're going to be, and I don't know what we're going to do. If you've got some ideas, stick around and holler at me. But also, we had looked at starting Sunday school July 12th. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Now hear me. I'm not afraid. And I'm not being cavalier. I respect what's going on, and I know that there's been an uptick in our county, especially in Tattnall County. We want to be wise, and so we're going to move that date out to at least the first Sunday of August. And, and it's fluid. We don't know. It may move to middle of August. It may move to September. It may move to January. I don't know. But right now, it's not going to be July 12th. So we're going to start this week with something to help us keep from living a closet faith to be constant in the word of God and to live spirits. And then finally, don't compromise your spiritual stance, spiritual compromise. You see, we assimilate. We start assimilating in the world says be different, look different. He said that we're a peculiar people. I pick on Timmy, Timmy can pick on me. Look at me. Does this not look peculiar? I'm as peculiar as they come. We're all peculiar. 
And that's what makes me as much of being anti-racist as anything. I love the difference. I love the difference. You know what? Someone that's got tats from the head to toe, don't intimidate me. It was their choice, and I didn't have to pay for it. Long hair, pink hair, purple hair, that don't bother me. You know what I see? The older I get, the deeper I see. That's a soul Jesus loves. Stop looking. You know what? The greatest presence I've ever got was in the most innocuous wrapped box. You hear what I just said? It was when I was tearing through them, you know, and I was just, I wanted to open them. It didn't really matter. And then all of a sudden I tear in some, something small and boom. Wow. Some of the most treasured things we have are some of the smallest things we have. But they matter the most. Assimilation stopped feeling like you've got to fit in. Church, we're not called to fit in. We're called to be different. We're not to get on the bus with some group to do this, to do that, to do something else. We must stand consistent in everything we do. Because assimilation leads to dereliction. That means we, we stop doing what we're supposed to do. And then when we assimilate, we see no need to do what God's called us to do. And so we don't do it. But then dereliction leads to desertion. That's why our church rolls are full and our pews are empty whether it's in a pandemic or not. Let us not desert the cause of Christ. But then, in closing, for not just this message, but for this series, Nehemiah said it best. He said in chapter 6, verse 3, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I'm doing a great work. They said, come on down, Nehemiah, let's talk about this. You know, they always want you to compromise by stopping what you're doing. That's the first step. If they can get you to stop and just be still, listen, keep working, keep going. He said, no, no, I don't have time for that. He said, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come off this wall. I cannot come down. I said at the start, there's hope in a world of compromise as long as there are Nehemiahs. Nehemiah spoke some of the most powerful words here in chapter 6. He said, I will not stop doing what God's called me to do. I will not come off this wall. But I want to tell you, he was just speaking of what Jesus would do as well. For as Jesus came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived without sin, he was nailed to a cross. And they came and they wagged their heads and they mocked him and they called out, Jesus, you so-called Son of God, if you're the King of the Jews, save yourself and come down off this cross. And yet he spoke not a word. Nehemiah didn't come down. He didn't stop. Jesus did not come down from the cross. May we never come down from doing and being what our God has called us.
to do. You see, if we're going to do that, if we're not going to compromise, if we're going to stand true, we're going to stand strong, and as our Savior has been, we're going to be faithful, then number one, it tells us in, in verse 3, we must separate ourselves from the things of this world. Second of all, we need to clean out. You see, Tobiah, that guy, you remember there were two guys that were enemies, Sanballat and Tobiah. And everything they could do was to stop the work. You know what happened? Elisha, the priest, became intertwined through a mixed relationship with Tobiah and let Tobiah move into the back rooms of the temple. Nehemiah showed up. He said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You have brought the fox into the hen house. Listen, he snatched him up. He went, you, there wasn't no time for no yard sale. He dispossessed him. And Randall, it wasn't no kind dispossessory. Listen, everything he had, he threw out on the front yard. He said, get this stuff out of here. I'd hate to be the sheriff and have to do that stuff. You know, when somebody gets dispossessed and they hadn't moved their stuff, and they have to go in there and sit it all out on the curb. And it's always heartbreaking for me to ride by and see that. I don't know what, how the person got themselves into that situation, what had happened, but it's sad. This wasn't because this was an enemy in the camp. Separate ourselves. Clean out the clutter. Clean out the worldliness, the carnality in our life. And then he says in verse 25, and I contended with them. And I cursed them. That don't sound very Christian. Well, it was. And he said, I even smote some of them. And he literally grabbed them by the hairs on their head. And snatched, you're talking about snatching them up. He plucked it out and made them swear by God saying, you shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. Talking about tough love. And he even went further. He said, your King Solomon, that's what got him in trouble. He married foreign wives and he brought in foreign gods. Listen, fight the good fight of faith. And finally, in closing, he said in verse 31, Remember me, oh my God, for good. You want to serve God? You want to carry your burden? The bookends of Nehemiah tells us how we do it. Said in verse, chapter 1, verse 4, he wept and he prayed. In verse 31, the last words of Nehemiah in this book, he prayed to God. He said, don't forget me and use me for good. May that be our prayer. May that be our burden. Not our burden of choice, but the burden God has chosen for us. To build the spiritual walls around our home. To build the spiritual walls around our community. This community needs Jesus. All the stuff going on, we see stuff and we see talk, we read talk. All this heartaches and headaches and, and hatred. You want to change things? Give them Jesus. And it's going to happen one block at a time. Build them up. You say, we can't do anything. It's a pandemic. You pray about it. God will show you what to do. There's members of our church been taking food every week, doing other things, calling, encouraging, just because we're in kind of a, 
uh, shelter in place and social distancing doesn't mean we can't still share Jesus and encourage others. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, so much more that can be said here, but Lord, we just need to be consistent. Lord, everybody in this room, somewhere along the way, is compromised. We settled for less in the spiritual economy of God. You never called for us to settle. You're the victor. To the victor goes the spoil. You conquered death, hell, and the grave. And you said that because of that, we can have abundant life. We don't have to just exist, but we can live blessed because you're always faithful. Lord, thank you for the words that through the songs this morning, those who sang it, thank you for the encouragement of seeing our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, those who are watching, I pray that there would be a fire built within us to look around for the rocks that have been torn down to rebuild the walls of spirituality in our lives, that we would stop depending on that which is less and depend on that which is the greatest, which is you, our Lord and Savior. May we carry this burden forward. We don't know what the weeks and months ahead hold, but Lord, we know that you're there and you'll guide us. And may we pray at every stop at every step throughout our life, may we pray before we open our mouth, before we exercise anything, may we do it by consulting you. Lord, I pray your eternal blessings on each side. I pray that you'd be with those who are hurting and in need. And I pray that you would go with us this week, that we'd have a week of power to see you work in our lives in sharing with others their need for Jesus. Father, this is our prayer together today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.